a late night last night and kind of mid-December. How is everyone's energy levels and tiredness levels as we hit tonight? If 10 is, you are just absolutely full of energy and zero is you, you're just pretty much the tank is empty. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them what number you are at as you hit this point tonight. Okay, how are we tracking? Who is, uh, who's over seven, who's seven or above? Okay, who's, well, that's pretty, pretty good. Who's sitting below five? All right, who's sitting like below three? Okay, everyone's kind of, all right, it's not too bad, it's not too bad. I've, I was probably sitting on about five at lunchtime, but I had a little nana nap, so now I'm back up to seven. Uh, it's kind of a time of the year when we're, uh, tired and a bit run down, but um, my prayer is that you guys will be awake for the next little while as we share this message because we are up to the last message in our series on Romans. It's exciting. We've been in this book for uh, about seven months, and uh, part of the reason why we've studied Romans is because Kurt finished up in March, I think, and we had this gap before a new pastor came on board, which has turned out to be Nick. And so I really uh, wanted to invest in the night service, but I really thought about what I wanted to do. And one of the things I wanted to do was to, to sow solid teaching into you guys and to give you that opportunity to go through a book like Romans, which is just full of the gospel. And so I didn't want to get to the point where Nick comes on board and we say, well, what is the gospel? And people say, well, I don't know. don't know what the gospel is. And so hopefully, as we've studied Romans, you've come to understand more fully the gospel. But originally, we started out with this series, and we had this little idea that we we're going to do a scripture memorization every week. Uh, that kind of lasted about three weeks and didn't quite happen. But we were still tracking and picking out a key verse from Romans from every passage that we preached. When I got to the end of Romans, I actually had a look at them, and I realized that if you put just the key verse from each passage that we preach together and read them one after the other, it actually formed a coherent explanation of the gospel. It's pretty interesting. So before we get into Romans 16, our last uh, message, I'm going to read to you the key verse from every sermon that we preached over the past seven months, and I believe it actually makes sense, and, and as, you, as we go through it, it's kind of really, uh, really a good explanation of the gospel. So here we go. I'm going to see if this is work, so I've got to turn it on first. So here we go. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. But... Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Give to everyone what you owe them. If, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So, you know, we, we spent seven, uh, seven months going through it, and uh, yeah, if you've just come tonight for the first time, there it is. That's the Roman series. Um, what an awesome thing, the gospel, the gospel. Tonight, we, uh, we go into the last message, and Romans proper ends at the end of chapter 15. And chapter 16 is a little unusual. It's basically a series of greetings that the Apostle Paul says to a whole bunch of people he knows who are now living in Rome. And it's kind of not, if I'm honest, it's not the most riveting part of all of Scripture. Okay, all Scripture is inspired. If we're honest, not all Scripture is inspiring. All Scripture is inspired, not, not all Scripture is inspiring. And this is probably one of these passages where you read it and go, it's inspired, but it's maybe not inspiring. But I've got to say that as I've studied this passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 16, this week, I have just been absolutely moved by it, and I believe there is something in it that is so 
powerful that I really hope that you will get uh, significant things out of this passage tonight. So let's read it, uh, Romans chapter 16. And there it is. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Apenetus, who was the very first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test of time. Greet those who belong to the house of Aristobulus. Who's loving this scripture? I know I am. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of narcissists who are in the Lord. Slightly narcissistic, but they're good people. Greet Trophina and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet, oh goodness, I've got to go to my scripture here. I can't read that one either. Greet, verse 14, uh, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. <laughs> Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send their greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving the Lord, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone who has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I, Timothy, uh, my co-worker, sends uh, his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason and uh, Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Uh, Gaius, uh, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Uh, Erastus, who is, in, who is the city's director of public works, and, a brother, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of eternal God. 
so that all the Gentiles might come to know the obedience that comes from faith. To the one, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So three years ago, uh, it was around September and I was on the southeastern freeway heading out of town towards the Monato exit, feeling somewhat excited and somewhat nervous because I was going to be doing something that I had never done before, paintballing. <laughs> I was going to be part of the, the, the men's paintballing contest for, uh, for Hills Baptist uh, Allgate versus Hills Baptist Verdun, and I got there and I got my overalls on and my mask on and my face mask on and my uh, air rifle paintballing gun, and I was set to go. And I was excited, but I was a little nervous because I'd heard the stories. Stories about bruises, stories about welts, stories about people getting hit and it hurting, right? So while I'm a pretty brave kind of guy, I was also a little nervous, let's be honest. So we got into the first game and there was a series of, of metal drums and they were set up on a field and one team was sent to the left, that was our team, and the other team was sent to the right. And you saw where guys set up based on their courage and bravery. There was guys who were at the front, they were ready to take on the action. There was people in the middle who were like kind of action, kind of a bit of caution. And there were those at the back who were the uh, very cautious people. So I positioned myself right at the back, the very last drum. And I was right behind it. So the game started, the paintball started flying and they're hitting the metal drum and the heart, my heart started beating and then I poked my head up and tried to fire my gun and it wasn't working. So then I had to get someone to help me and, uh, and they fixed it up. And by this time I noticed that people were getting knocked out of the game. I could look across to the side and see as people were getting hit, they were out of the game. The first game was just a free-for-all. It was just the last man standing wins. So I sat behind the drum at the very back and I started to see more and more people go out. And I started to realize something. My, my intelligent mind told me that if I just sat behind the drum and did nothing, I could win this game. <laughs> so that's exactly what I did. And the numbers kept dropping and it got down and I realized the paintball started firing less often. And I poked my head up and I realized there must only be one or two left. And then the paintball stopped flying altogether. I was the winner. <laughs> Victory was mine and I stepped off the field. And, and people were actually coming up to me and patting me on the back saying, well done, great job. And for a few minutes, I kind of felt, felt pretty good, felt a little bit proud. But it was a hollow victory. I was left with a slightly empty feeling, if I'm honest. Because I knew that I'd done absolutely nothing. I knew that I hadn't helped out my teammates. I knew that I had basically been a coward, let's be honest. And it was victory of the, of the lowest kind. It was a hollow victory. And I kind of think about that game as I kind of think about Romans 16. And I'll get to where that ties in with Romans 16. But actually, that kind of reminds me a little bit about how people approach life. Because in Romans 16, what we've got is a list of people who didn't sit at the back but got in the game. We, we see a list of people who get commended because they took a risk and got in the game at cost to themselves. 
at significant cost on many occasions. And you say, I think that this is so important what I'm about to preach tonight, because a little bit like my, my game of paintball, we are being fed a message uh, often, in fact, over and over again, which is this, which is go and do your job in life and, and earn your money, and, and then actually the rest of life, once you've finished your job and you come home, it's about me time. It's about comfort is king. It's about pleasure is the purpose of life. It's about actually make sure you're happy, pursue your dreams, do your thing, make sure you're feeling good and, and you know, you work hard so then come home and, and chillax and you don't want to put yourself out there and you don't want to, you know, don't really worry too much about others. It's just about pursue your path to your sense of whatever makes you happy and you are being fed that message over and over again. And the, 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 the message that you get is that doing that is going to lead to satisfaction and fulfillment. But what we've got is a society who are doing that and discovering that actually it's a hollow feeling. You might have victory doing that in the world's eyes, but often it is a hollow and empty victory. Because actually what leads to deepest and the truest sense of satisfaction is to live for something that is bigger than yourself and actually the ultimate sense of meaning and satisfaction comes when you live for something that is bigger than this world, when you live for God. That's exactly what Romans 16 is about. There's all sorts of helpful instructions in Romans 16, but the bit that captured me was actually the greetings and what it says about this list of amazing people who have their names recorded for all of human history. And throughout 2,000 years, this is the most read letter that's ever been written and the most studied book of the Bible, probably. And it has been studied by generation after generation. People have read these names because these people did something amazing and their lives, they made their lives matter because they were willing to take a stand and do something for the cause of Christ. So let's dig into this passage and see what it has to tell us from the greetings in Romans chapter 16. Uh, first thing is, uh, I guess, Romans 16, as we read this, reminds us that Romans began as a letter. Romans is a letter. It began as a letter that was written by somebody, the Apostle Paul, to a group of people, the church in Rome. And it's fairly typical in pretty much all of Paul's letters that he concludes the letter proper and then goes on to write a whole series of greetings to people who he knew in that town. Uh, this is a time in history, obviously, before phones and email and Facebook and Instagram and Messenger and all that kind of stuff. And people used to write letters. I don't know, has anyone here ever written a letter? Can you remember that? You know, you write something, you put a stamp on it. and you... Do people still write letters? Who writes letters here still? Okay, 10 of you, awesome. Uh, the way they would write something in, in Paul's day is it would be written on a scroll. The scroll would be rolled up and put in a package. It would be handed to a person who was traveling from the place where it was written to the intended location. And that person would be entrusted with this letter. And they would, they would literally take it with them. They would get on a boat in this case, and they'd travel from uh, where Paul was, which I, if I've got my memory right, I think it was Corinth, and travel across all the way to Rome by, by boat, and they would arrive and they would go to the church in Rome and they would hand over this letter. And so that's why we see this um, uh, thing that 
not only is Romans full of great theology and this explanation of the gospel, but at the end we have these greetings. And, um, and so that's a fairly typical part of Paul's writings. But this chapter reveals that um, there's this whole group of people that, that Paul has known, that he's served alongside, people that have blessed him. And so he basically he wants to say hi to them. And I think there's a, there's a whole lot of things that this passage speak to us. And I'm going to highlight four of them. So here's the first one. The first one is this, that women have played a vital, that women play a vital part in God's mission. Amen? Uh, there's something quite outstanding about this passage is that over and over again, we see the names not just of men, but of women present. In fact, more than a third of the people mentioned in this scripture are women. Now, these days, we're not surprised to see uh, women being commended and women taking positions of leadership. It's not unusual for a woman to be a politician, a CEO, a leader in the church or out of the church. But in the society in which Paul is writing, the place of women was much, much lower than the place of men. It is highly unusual that women are given such a place of significance that when Paul goes and writes those who have served alongside and he recommends, indeed commends Phoebe and he, and he thanks the, the people who have been serving and working hard, he specifically references lots of women in doing so. And so women are clearly active participants in the ministry of the church and they're being accorded honour here that is far above what is normally happening in the society in which Paul is writing. In the society Paul is writing, women are not given a place of honour and respect and here they are. And that's really something significant. I remember once I was talking with someone who was not a Christian uh, a, a lady and, and who I was working with. And she said, well, the reason I'm not interested in Christianity is because the church is against women. I thought, that's really interesting. I said, well, I'm, I probably agree with you that at times the church has not given women the place that they should have. But I've got to say, Jesus is not against women. In fact, the opposite is true. The Bible is not against women. I said, you've just got to look at the New Testament and the way Jesus treats women and to see that Jesus, not only did Jesus not, is he not against women, but he's absolutely for women. He's constantly showing women a dignity and honour and respect that is above what the society showed women in Jesus' day. So I want to just say to um, the women of this church, if you ever think that, hey, um, you're not valued or you don't have a place in this church or, or whatever. I hope and I don't think that's the case. But I just want to say thank you to all the women who serve in the ministry of this church. We have women who play so many vital roles in this church. They serve as leaders. They serve as, as ministry leaders, as elders, as people who teach children, youth, young adults, lead small groups, preach. And our church is richer for the contribution of women. Amen? And also, I want to say to the blokes, we need to, we need to constantly show our women respect and dignity as just because they're awesome. Okay. So, that's what I want to say. Women, are, uh, it's quite an outstanding feature that many people will note. Uh, it's clearly there in Romans chapter 16. The second point to play is this. Uh, blokes, you don't miss out because everyone has a part to play in God's mission. 
Everyone has a part to play in God's mission. A pastor who, a mate of mine who's a pastor of a big church in Melbourne, has a phrase that he's made up that I absolutely love. And he speaks over and over again uh, this phrase the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. The mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. What we see in Romans 16 is that, is that the gospel spreads not just because of a few great people like a Paul or a Peter, but because the ministry of many people. You know, we, uh, we, we talk about Paul a lot and we hear about Peter and we hear about John and these, these great kind of figures. But you know, the advance of the gospel also needs Priscilla and Aquila. It needs Urbanus and Apellus. It needs Mary and Adronicus and Junia and all these other people that are mentioned in Romans chapter 16. The spread of the gospel doesn't happen only if Paul does his ministry. It's completely dependent on every single person who's part of the church serving and using their gifts in a meaningful way. You know, uh, back when I was a kid, we used to pick sporting teams I don't think they do this these days. We used to pick sporting teams by that appoint two captains. And then the captains would, would take turns one after the other picking who they'd want on their team. And so they'd, they'd pick obviously the, the, their mates and the really good sports people first. Who grew up in the era of this happening? Okay, quite a lot of you still, even younger people. And it was a really dodgy way of doing it. Because, you know, there'd be those picked first and they're getting the high fives. Yeah, I've got you on my team. Awesome. That's great. And then there'd be the people who are just left to the end and they're not getting picked. And it comes down to the last person and, and they've, they're getting picked absolutely last. And maybe there's someone in this room who is in that position. Well, I want to tell you that in the church... In the kingdom of God, no one gets picked last. No one gets picked last. No one is unimportant. No one is unvalued. No one doesn't have something valuable and important to give and to serve with and to share with. Everyone, the Bible says, has been given gifts. Everyone, Scripture says, has a passion that's on their heart. Everything that has, everyone has something that stirs them that moves them, that's different probably from the person next to them. And what Scripture simply says is use that gift and use that passion and use what you've got to serve. And there's no gift that's higher or greater than other. And the person who, who I mean, I get to stand at the front and preach, so it's kind of this position of honor. But the, let me tell you, there's, it's not a greater position than the person who is operating the sound desk right now or operating the slides, because if you can't hear me, there's no sermon. And if you don't have supper afterwards, you're hungry. <laughs> and it's probably more important for you to, you're probably loving the fact that you have food more than you hear a sermon. I don't know. <laughs> Having someone serve in the car park, someone who welcomes you at the door, someone who actually on a Friday night turns up and blesses our youth, someone who turns up on a Sunday morning and blesses our children, and all the different roles of service in our church, people that come and change the light globes because I don't know how to do that task, and... Anything to do with handyman stuff, I just about explode. And there was a story about that in my family yesterday, but I won't tell. About trying to change a pipe that burst, and that's a whole other story. But in God's equation, every single person is of equal value. The mission of God has been placed in the hands of ordinary people, like you and like me. And we see that in Romans 16. This incredible list of people who were simply faithful in serving God in their own way. 
The, uh, the next point I want to make here, so uh, what have I got? Hold on, I'm missing my slides here. So the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. The mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. I love that phrase. The next point I want to make is this, that serving God is hard and costly and also deeply rewarding. Serving God is hard and costly, but also deeply rewarding. Have a look at these scriptures. If you've got the Bible uh, open before you, in fact, I can flick back so we can get to these passages. Have a look at, uh, have a look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, um, uh, I ask you to receive Phoebe, this is, uh, this is Phoebe, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, to give her any help she may need from you, uh, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So Phoebe is someone of means, and Phoebe is being a benefactor, that means she's giving financially to enable the ministry of Paul and many, many other people. She's an incredibly generous person who's used her wealth to make sacrificial gifts that even enable the ministry of Paul and other people. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. And how about this? They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but, the ch- not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. How's that? These, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, risked their lives for Paul. When was the last time you risked your life for someone? That's pretty incredible. Verse 6, he says, Greet Mary, who's worked very hard. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. These are people who, because of their faith, have been willing to take a stand to the point where they have been imprisoned for the cause of Christ because they've stood for the gospel. We go on to verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard and it goes on this this we see this thing again greet persis another woman who has worked very hard this idea is that ministry serving god is often hard work i remember when when i uh, took a job after year 12 and i was working uh, with an agronomist right which is someone basically who's an agricultural kind of consultant person and, and the agronomist that I was working for had all these little harvesting plots of land and this little harvesting machine that he'd drive up and down the rows and it would fill little buckets with grain. And each row was a separate, had maybe had a separate amount of fertiliser put on it or was a separate variety. And so after each row, I would have to take the bucket and walk it back to the ute and it would be, they'd take a sample of it and test it. And then I have to get the little bucket back and then I'd swap the buckets over and all of this thing. And so basically, I started working, doing this job. It was a 40 degree day. I was in a packet, packet? I was in a paddock. I wasn't in a packet. That would have been weird help. I'm in a packet. Um, I, I was in a paddock working in 40 degree heat, walking nonstop and about Five hours into that, I actually physically collapsed. And I was like, I was not expecting this to be this hard, right? I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I didn't think it was this. When it comes to serving God in ministry, I think there's times when people hit a a time when it's actually hard work, when for whatever reason it's difficult. Maybe it's just tiring. Maybe it's emotionally difficult. Maybe it's relationally difficult. You hit a speed bump. It becomes hard work. It's late at night. You're doing youth group and there's a mess and you're tired and you've got to pack up. 
or you're meant to be the person packing up the chairs, or you're on supper and there's a stack of dishes and whatever it is, you've got to prepare that small group uh, lesson and you're tired and you've had a big week and ministry just feels like hard work. I want to remind you that you shouldn't ever, please don't ever hit the point where you're like, man, I wasn't expecting this to be hard work. Because ministry is going to be hard work. Ministry comes with cost. And I've discovered that in my ministry time and again, that frankly, ministry is costly. It's taxing. It tests me. It's difficult. But it's also wonderfully rewarding and a great blessing. Ministry by nature is taxing, but it is highly rewarding. And I guess I want to sow into you guys this truth because uh, I want to kind of sow into you this countercultural attitude where you actually say, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be reliable, I'm going to be selfless, I'm going to be dedicated, and I'm going to persevere through hardship because serving Christ is worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. Like if it's not worth it, then yeah, when it gets hard, check out. And just say, that's it, I'm done. It's not. But serving Christ is worth it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be costly. But it's also going to be deeply rewarding. The final point I want to make is this. That when God's people work together in unity, all things are possible. Here's a question for you. Here's a theological question. Does God need us to achieve his purpose on earth? You don't have to shout out an answer. Does God need us to achieve his purpose on earth? Hmm. Well, you could answer in two ways. You could say no. God made the universe out of nothing. He is powerful beyond comprehension. He's wise beyond understanding. He doesn't need anyone, surely, to accomplish his purposes. If God wants to do something, he can do it. And that would be true. But you could also answer, yes, God does need us to achieve his purposes on earth. Why? Because he has chosen to work through us. He has chosen to work through his people. He has chosen to give birth to his church, to achieve his mission so that the gospel would go out through people. Romans 10 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And in Matthew 19, it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Another time, Jesus sends out his disciples and say, Go, I'm sending you. So we are a people who have been sent out. When God's people work together, all things are possible. The church in Rome, the church who Paul writes to, is a small group of Christians who are being persecuted. They are in the midst of the greatest empire the world has ever known, an empire that lasted for thousands of years. It was powerful. It spread throughout the known world. It was unbelievable in its wealth and power. The Christians in Rome were a small band of persecuted believers. 
They were people probably, a lot of them living in poverty because a lot of them would lose their jobs or whatever and they were in incredibly difficult circumstances. At times they went through horrendous persecutions when they'd be rounded up, where they'd be thrown to the lions, where they'd be, uh, become human bonfires, all of this kind of stuff. But this group of Christians were faithful to the mission of holding this gospel and then taking this gospel and sharing it with those around them. This group of Christians showed hospitality to people who were down and out, to people who were struggling. They welcomed people into their homes. They taught and encouraged new Christians. They shared the gospel wherever they went. And because of their faithfulness, the gospel spread throughout Rome like wildfire. And you know what happened to the church in Rome? The church in Rome, the gospel spread and the church spread throughout every single town and village of the Roman Empire to the point where Christianity became the official religion of the empire. And Christianity outlasted the empire. Why? It started with a small group of people who were willing to pay a cost, use their gifts, and serve faithfully. And when God's people work together in unity, all things are possible. Have a look at the state of the church in Australia today. We're not a persecuted people, not really, but we've become a small group of people. The church has lost its place, it's moved from the centre to the fringes. It's moved from a, a place where the church was, you know, respected and honoured and kind of was in the town square and welcomed into that place to living on the fringes. And let me tell you, to some extent, that's exactly where the gospel often works most effectively. We might think, does Australia want the gospel? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But let me tell you, it's in times like this when the gospel often works in its most powerful way. If Christians are willing to actually serve and be faithful, then incredible things can happen. But what it simply takes is people to say, you know, I'm going I'm to serve and I'm going to recognize that it's going to be hard and I'm going to recognize that it's going to be costly and I'm going to work together in unity. And when that happens, all things are possible. It happens when men and women say, yes, I'm going to have the attitude. I'm going to make a decision. Count me in. I want to be part of this. You might, may not know what that looks like in your own life. You might, may not know what you want to do. You may not know how you want to serve. And that might be something formal, something organized, something in the church, something beyond it. It may just be how you choose to treat people and love people, the choice to be generous with your words, with your actions in every way. But tonight I want to simply finish by challenging you with this question. Are you going to say, I'm in, I'm part of this? I see that with so many of you, but the gospel moves when every single person owns it and says, yes, count me in. I want to be a part of it. This is a call in these little verses from Romans, these greetings that are so easy to skip over. This is about people who said, count me in. I'm in. Are you with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you that every single word of it is God breathed and is useful for teaching us. Thank you, God, that you have chosen uh, in your wisdom to retain and record for all of history these verses in the very end of Romans, these greetings by the Apostle Paul to people 
uh, most of whom we don't know, and we don't really know their story, but we know something about them. These were people who were faithful to your call, and you worked through them in powerful ways. May we learn from their lives, may we learn from their stories, may we be, learn from their names, and may it be for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.